We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. It is Thursday, January 28th of the year 2021. I am your host, John McCagney, joined as always by Mario Puig. We do not have a real live NFL game this weekend, so most of the focus will be on the Senior Bowl, which is going on in Mobile, Alabama this week. Obviously, a collection of some of the best senior talent around college football from this past year as they start to make their impressions on NFL front offices um, right there in front of them. So that that's all ongoing. We are going to dive into that. But Mario, can I point out that today is the 20-year anniversary down in Raymond James Stadium, the same stadium where the Super Bowl is this year, where the Baltimore Ravens won Super Bowl 35 against the New York Giants. Everyone remembers that one. I do remember that one. I didn't realize it had been that particular unit of time since then, but that was a good that was a good year of the NFL. Um, actually, it was it was kind of funny. They I remember the, the Buccaneers had Super Bowl hype that year, and they were kind of doing the super team 
preseason coronation thing about like the NFC team's going to be Tampa Bay. Is it going to be the Titans or the Jags in the AFC? And then, uh, you know, the, the Ravens had the best defense ever or whatever. Um, a lot of good aesthetic football from the Ravens that year. You got Jamal Lewis being an NFL blitz character yep. and, and looking just ridiculous. You got, uh, Mike McCrary putting up like 17 sacks from inside in the three, four, the bull wear Lewis defense. Like that was, that was some great football. Um, unlike the, this year with, well, I mean the chiefs are cool or whatever. Um, but you know, there, there was no, there was no representative of Satan in, in that particular super bowl, uh, <laughs> as much as people might think bad things about Ray Lewis or whatever. No, that was, yeah. I mean, I, obviously, Everyone knows my background, so I, I love that team. You know, Chris McAllister, uh, Jermaine Lewis, uh, you know, so they had to have the oh, J.E. Yeah. Lewis. Um, nothing cooler to, like, a 7-year-old or 8-year-old or whatever I was than, uh, than a guy that's Adams, just running running kicks Syracuse. back all the time. Just Yeah, the two, but uh, also you got uh, Tony Siragusa and Sam Adams. I know, and I've been uh, for our listeners. I've been I've been uh, running through the Sopranos lately, and I'm in a season where <laughs> where the goose makes like several appearances, and I'm like, oh, goose. Yep. <laughs> so, oh man, so yes, yeah, so a good a good little quick trip down memory lane there. But specifically remembering those 2000 Baltimore Ravens and in that Super Bowl in Raymond James Stadium. We'll we'll of course uh, we'll touch on the Super Bowl uh, in next week's edition of of the podcast. But let's go ahead. Let's dive in on the Senior Bowl for this week. Um, interesting, interesting collection of guys there. Obviously, like the, the Senior Bowl, it's full of guys that that are talented, are most likely going to to get drafted. Um, to, not all of them are going to be like the, your classic first round guys. You know, we we have a lot of underclassmen, redshirt juniors, or regular juniors that that are obviously going to be in the mix in the first round as well. But Senior Bowl tends to turn out some guys, so so we will uh, we'll dive in here. I want to start out, I guess, with, with a guy that might be generate, generating the mo- most buzz this week. Uh, I don't know if my finger's on the right pulse there, but we've talked about him a little bit um, through our uh, draft discussions already, but Dwayne Eskridge seems to be really, really um, turning a lot of heads in, in Mobile so far. Obviously, he's a guy that, that you wrote about um, in your initial receiver rankings i wrote about him in my senior bowl viewing guide as well i mean he's a guy that you know allegedly runs in the low four threes uh, laser timed as of a couple of years ago the the rub is that he's undersized relatively and he's over over aged i, I guess so like yeah. the, the production um from especially this year you kind of throw it out a little bit i mean it was impressive but again like we've established it's something that like he had to do to um to even like make himself viable at, at this stage yeah um so what are your thoughts on him now that uh he's kind of come from being an under the radar guy that, that maybe a few of us knew about to, to someone who's i think more on the national radar now yeah he's kind of interesting i think that it's it's so hard to it's so hard to fairly characterize what the what the sort of narrative around him is because i I feel like that's one of those things where i think most people are keeping a a reasonable perspective on eskridge they're saying like hey nice showing from this guy he's on the map in the middle rounds and that's precisely how i look at it like i I went in projecting him as kind of like a third fourth fifth rounder and i think 
him playing well is is kind of like one of those things that's necessary to just keep the three and the four part of that range in play. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if if he weren't standing out, I would say you know he's he's older than these other guys. So if he's not standing out among them, that means that we should be lowering him uh, because if if he's if he's not playing like he has the advantage that he does have, then something's wrong. So. It's not to say that uh, like I, I know there are some people who are who are like he's going to be 24 in in you know March, which means it's impossible for him to be good. And True. I think that's yeah. a weird way of thinking about material reality. I, I don't believe that age uh, like like it's it's actually nonsense. Like there's no way someone can speak it out in literal logical form and and still stand by the statement that like Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, what was was good two years ago uh, and had he gone into the league two years ago he would have stayed good but having waited two years is now bad it's like he might be bad but that's not the reason why he is the reason you have to look at age for excuse me evaluating draft prospects is to provide the the context around their production to determine how meaningful and valuable that production is Mm -hmm. so in Eskridge's case, I'm not really looking at his 784 yards and eight touchdowns on 52 targets, which is insane. Yep. Um, like that's insanely productive in, in six games, especially. But I'm not really looking at that and taking it away as anything meaningful. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, you know, he dominated. We, we know that from the results here. But if he had done anything but dominate, that would be kind of a red flag. It would be like if he had, if he had only... I don't know, 450 yards and four touchdowns. And if he was only averaging like 10 yards a target, I would say, you know, he can go in the sixth or the seventh if he runs a four, three, five. But now with with him producing like that, it's it's um it's not so much that he gets points for it. It's that he gets he, he doesn't get stuck with the failing grade. You know, like he could have gotten the failing grade. He gets the passing grade, but he can't he's not eligible for bonus points. Like he can't okay. get higher points for doing this he just gets allowed to to progress to like the next the next phase of of uh kind of like the the breaking down of of this class it's like Eskridge is in play for the rounds three to four having played well in the senior bowl practices and if he hadn't he would not have been eligible for it that's a that's a great way of framing it and you know it's so important to not count things twice when when it comes to evaluating these guys so i i'd say you know don't want to don't want to speak for both of us necessarily, but I think we're we're both kind of in a similar spot where we view him as um, you know someone who should go late day two, early day three, and and you know like you said, uh, kind of just stamped that or has been stamping that throughout the course of this week. I mean, some some like physical comparisons that that you know I, I think could resonate with some of our listeners maybe he could be like a kj hamler type um richie james although i, I imagine his, uh, his his height weight is the exact same as andy isabella oh. uh so, so he he's probably not as fast as andy isabella though like he's probably like four three seven four three eight mm-hmm. four three five maybe isabella was the four three one and i by the way still think isabella is good i'm, I'm blaming cliff for yeah that cliff, one, so I don't, cliff is really uh dropped the ball idiot. he's yeah. a moron if i ever see him he's he's a uh, He's going to get quite a spree of posts hurled at him. Good. Uh, uh, yeah, to, to go back to Eskridge a little bit, I saw Todd McShay was saying, like, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Eskridge is in the first round. Yeah, I saw that's that. That's stupid. <laughs> that, we don't need to do that, Todd. Yeah, fo- so, yeah, that's crazy. And don't, if if that's like a, a narrative that catches on, let someone else in your dynasty league make that mistake. Yeah, like Eskridge is interesting because he's a fast guy who's who's decently built for how fast he is, and he's produced at the college level. Like the, I was saying, like the twenty twenty production was insanely good, but not really 
uh, valid because he was, he was, you know, 23, almost 23 and a half, something like that. It doesn't matter. Like you have to dominate to be considered, but if you do dominate, you don't get anything like you don't get grandfathered into anything. It's just like, you're just allowed to stay alive one more, uh, rung of this kind of ladder that we go up. Um, but for, for Eskridge, the reason I don't write him off for his age, um, is that he he actually produced at a previous point in his career when he wasn't so old like yeah 500 like, yards as a freshman yeah he was a 20 and a half for some reason i don't know why he was so effing old even in his first years at western michigan but and he was above baseline as their leading receiver in 2017 so you look at that snapshot that that one data point and you can't attribute his production to his age like you can probably do that for 2020 but there's nothing about his age that explains why he was their best receiver and outproduced the team baseline back in 2017. So mm. that indicates some level of skill that you can't attribute to his age. And if he is as toolsy as we think he is, and if he if he's running an actual four three five, then it's like, you know, he's, that's those are two pretty good grades as far as his production and then his his athleticism. So uh, really good senior bowl that all that combined. So long as he runs the sub four four, does make him a viable like. Uh, probably like right on the fringe of the top 100 i guess yeah i I think that that's that's the correct range for for him at this stage so it's it's trending in that direction um and and again uh, if you're looking for like the you know the small speedy guy from this class it's probably uh him at least among the the senior bowl guys um let's get on over um someone that that you kind of like turned me back onto um, when when you released your, your receiver rankings, and that's Nico Collins from Michigan. I, I think because you know what what I have to do for for our college football section. Once he opted out for the season, he kind of just uh, didn't exist to me for a couple of months because I had to you yeah. know like focus on the on the rest of you know what what Michigan's fantasy outlook um, was doing. But you know he was a guy that. Um, was outproducing or at least in line with guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black, two guys that were kind of like the, the crown jewels of the of that uh, recruiting class at Michigan a, a few years back. Like it, uh, Nico Collins, like not not a bad recruit by any means, like he's still a four-star. Um, but yeah, Michigan was really rolling back then on the recruiting trail. But I mean, DPJ and Tariq Black were supposed to be like the guys and, and Collins kind of ended up being at least at Michigan as good or better than them. Yeah, and I think in Peoples Jones's case, especially seeing how he did as a rookie, we can look at that Michigan offense and the way that it was constructed, the way they they ran their system there, and I think we can uh, we don't want to assume that the system is to blame for for Collins and DPJ failing to hit the conventional production marks that we like to see from top prospects, but Peoples Jones at least makes it plausible. Uh, the, the way they they played as a rookie with the Browns makes it plausible in hindsight, at least, that they would have produced much better had they had a different quarterback or a different coaching. I, so you be, look at I can't oh, believe sorry. how I can, I just can't believe how bad of a fit Shea Patterson ended up being at Michigan. Yeah, man, it, I don't know how to I don't know how he go bad. I don't know why. They like I, took, I they took elements out of his game and just like tried to make him this like pro style drop back passer when like when he was at Ole Miss uh, with AJ Brown and, and DK Metcalf like running around he kind of looked like Johnny Manziel and they they like removed that from him and yeah the the whole offense just kind of got clunkier and, and to your point like yeah I didn't think a whole lot of of 
Peoples Jones going into the draft last year because those product production metrics were so far below what you know you would normally expect from a from a draft eligible type of guy. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things like Peoples Jones. First of all, he might not be great or anything in the NFL, but if he's if he's even serviceable as a guy who can give you like 700, 750 snaps, then Collins almost has to be the same thing. Like he he produced more volume and but with more efficiency at Michigan than Peoples Jones. Granted, it was a different role. I don't I don't remember um, how much Peoples Jones played at the same time as Ronnie Bell or whatever, but Nico played that outside sideline only kind of role where he's he's basically running like post routes and fly routes and not much in between, not much over the middle of the field. So in, with Collins, you might say like, oh, there's I, I don't know if you can use him in the slot. I don't know if I don't know if he has the versatility we want. I don't know if he can run enough kinds of different routes. Those are possible limitations with Collins that might have informed his low share of the offense, like right around 17%, if I remember right, of their receiving yardage share. And it's also possible that it was more to do with uh, Patterson and then the offensive, just the people in charge, that uh, Collins didn't get a bigger share because that passing game was not very good and Collins was super efficient, like way above the baseline doing just automatic production per usage unit and yet they didn't raise his usage. So you can you have to guess at that point, like, did they not raise his usage because, you know, they didn't think of it or they couldn't figure it out or something in any case that wasn't Collins's fault? Or is it, you know, due to Collins that they couldn't get him going more? Like maybe he's only situationally good. Maybe he's good on these plays but can't do anything on any plays of any other type. Like that's a possibility. But – that was something you would have had to have figured about Donovan Peoples-Jones as well, and it turned out to not be the case. It just turned out like they were just using him wrong. Like they they just they could have used him a better way, and they didn't. So for for me, I'm going to be a little bit optimistic about Collins, if only because Peoples-Jones was so good as a rookie, and because Nico Collins outproduced him basically at Michigan, uh, albeit in a slightly different receiver position, and like again playing more outside and more downfield than Peoples-Jones, who might have got some slot work or something like that. Uh, which might not have suited him as well. But the the possibility of Collins just being like a total dud strikes me as pretty low. And in the meantime, pending his workout numbers and pending kind of uh, how the NFL receives him, how, how they end up ranking him as scouts and front office people, there's quite a bit of upside possible. Like if, if, he, if he had his usage increased at Michigan, there's no guarantee that the efficiency would have fallen off. And if he had more volume, we wouldn't be wondering at all what he is. We would just be like, oh, yeah, he's the 6'4", 215 guy who put up the big numbers at Michigan. Um, as it is, we, we know that he put up numbers insofar as he was allowed to play, basically, but they didn't let him get the volume for whatever reason. And the answer to why kind of will determine, I think, how good he turns out to be in the NFL. Interesting. Now, that's a that's a really good way of, of putting that. Um, yeah, and I'm definitely more inclined to, to place the blame at Michigan's feet than uh, than Collins himself. He he could be like a Galladay type best case or not even like best case scenario. It's like best case scenario. He could just be really good. Yeah, uh, we, we just don't know how specifically fast, how specifically how high jumping he is and we don't know specifically if he can't do the things Michigan didn't ask him to or if they just didn't ask him to because they were foolish Mm -hmm. and that I mean and you know like you were saying like they they had a couple talented guys in those other roles so if they had like those roles that were that strictly defined you know the 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 counter to 
what Alabama w- would do last year where like Judy Ruggs and, and Devonte Smith would literally like play rock, paper, scissors to, to figure out who's going to run which route, but like going into a play, um, if, you know, totally different situation at Michigan. The, the, the comp that I kind of landed on for, for Collins was like, if Tim Patrick was good right away or something, or, you know, like Tim Patrick yeah. without like having the three year waiting room practice squad hubbub before like actually getting a role. Yeah, I think Collins might be a little bit heavier. I can't remember what Patrick weighed coming out of Utah. And um, if I remember right, Patrick was a little bit uh, old for his for his um, recruiting class. I don't know what Collins' date of birth is. If you look it up, you get this stupid like YouTube anime video kid <laughs> or Life something. Collins. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I'm trying to find Nico Collins, the wide receiver's date of birth, and it's like – this TikTok influencer was born on. It's like, so we don't know how old he. If, if Nico Collins is like twenty three right now, then he's probably not any good in the NFL. He's probably like a Marcel Aitman or something. But if it turns out that Nico Collins is like twenty one right now, then it's like you know he put up those numbers that are good. And if he, if he put them up with an age disadvantage, then it's that much more reason to think that he's got skill that most players don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you have that right. Um, let's move on over, uh, another guy that, um, I, I thought kind of stood out from your, your initial ranks and, and piqued my interest. Um, that's Amari Rogers out of Clemson. Yeah. So he's, he's someone who has been really, uh, having a strong week thus far from pretty much all indications. And he, he's one of those guys that had a really promising, um, way, way in as well. I think like He's like five ten to two ten or something in that range. Yeah. So I mean that that's that's right in line with with what he was listed at at Clemson, and it's you know that that really nice combo of of size and density with some speed and and some you know run after the catch ability baked on top of it. So I mean that that's not quite. Yeah, it's almost like a miniature frame of, of like an AJ Brown or something in terms of like what what that density looks like. It Brown obviously taller and heavier, but you know similar compact type of style I again not drawing a direct comparison but like a, a smaller version of, of him potentially um yeah he's been he's been apparently you know for, from what i've seen on, on from the from the banter on twitter and and from watching the practices a little bit on tv it looks like he's yeah really really making a name for himself this week yeah rogers i think might be very good like i don't want to kind of invite unfair expectations for him it's it's very weird to me actually how quiet his brand is it's like i don't know if it's just kind of like clemson burnout like people uh people looking at you know t higgins justin ross and maybe they look at rogers and because he's the slot guy maybe they think oh this is just the artavis scott of this era Uh, Mm -hmm. we already saw the mike williams go into the league and this is just the artavis scott this is not artavis scott I don't know what Amari Rogers really is exactly because it's hard for me to remember. Like I'm trying to think back, like who is a five nine and a half, two hundred and eleven pound receiver uh, of any kind, let alone one that produced the way that Rogers did at Clemson and and might have the athletic characteristics that Rogers does. Which like Rogers looks fast on tape and he's a five star recruit. It would be pretty surprising if he tested poorly, even at this very dense weight. Like five nine and a half, you're usually talking like, you know, D- uh, Dwayne Eskridge. You're usually talking like one eighty eight, one ninety two. To be two eleven or two ten or whatever Rogers is, and it's all good weight. You know, like it's not, it's not like he showed up out of shape. It's all good weight, 
And th- that's a that's a running back frame. Like that's a distinctly running back like frame to be five nine and a half over two hundred and ten. And yet he's a battle tested receiver from a, a variety of functions. I think like earlier, especially in his career, it was like all slot stuff, all underneath that role that you know Hunter Renfro and Adam Humphreys played, which he played much better than either of them yep. at a much younger age than either of them. And it's like he produced above the baseline set that uh you know t higgins and justin ross set which was a very high baseline and when i call it when i'm saying baseline production i'm referring to the team's overall passing production his catch rate and his yards per target numbers cumulatively are like above whatever that settled point is like if trevor uh, if, if Lawrence was averaging 8.5 yards per attempt and completed 67% of his passes, then I'm calling like a 10 point uh, deficit in the catch rate, something that can be offset by a full yard uh, surplus for the yards per target. And yet like Rogers doesn't need like an offset from one thing being below the baseline and the other, uh, you know, making up the difference. It's like his catch rates above the team baseline, his yards per target is a little bit above the team baseline, which is to say like Trevor Lawrence's attempts would go for as much yardage with Rogers as the overall team alternative, the cumulative team alternative, but he would also catch those targets at like 12 points higher catch rate. So you can, it's, it's possible for a player to do that stuff while playing next to these other very good players and still not be good themselves, it just seems borderline impossible. Like, it seems exceedingly unlikely. So those reasons alone were enough for me to buy into Rodgers just going into the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. And if he turns out to, to be a good athletic tester at the Combine, I really don't see why he shouldn't be a first-round pick. Like, what, what Todd McShay said about Eskridge, he should have said about Amari Rodgers. There we go. There we have it. So, yeah, Ro- Rodgers... Um, definitely trending upwards, doing really well. Uh, his his counterpart, uh, Cornell Powell, I don't think he's done or has made quite as many waves th- this week. I think he, he's more like that f- fourth, fifth, maybe sixth round t- type of guy. Again, someone that I, that I totally wrote off uh, going into this year just because it's like, well, if you do absolutely nothing the first three years of your career, most of the time, like, you know, how good can you really be? But he was he was awesome this year, and you know you can you can take some of the blame off of the lack of production the first couple of years when there are guys like Mike Williams or, or um, T Higgins or Justin Ross, you know, absorbing such a heavy heavy amount of, of the targets. Like what you know, and Amari Rogers, of course. So you know, like where was the room for a guy like Cornell Powell who was playing outside to? get the get the reps get, get the reps get the targets that that sort of thing so i'm i'm still you know intrigued by powell but but yeah i mean it, he's definitely the lesser or like the the lower ranked by a considerable gulf b- between these two clemson receivers yeah i honestly got to look more at that guy cuz I, I kind of wrote him off but um he's he's got good numbers this year so i'll have to take a look but i i do expect he uh, has more of like a Jerron Brown kind of NFL career than uh, whatever good Clemson receiver we're thinking of. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's definitely fair. But he at least played himself onto the NFL radar yeah. this year, whereas coming into the year, absolutely not. Um, yeah. Let's talk a couple running backs. We'll just kind of bounce around. We don't need to like keep it in one one position group um a guy with maybe the most interesting way in and I'm really interested to hear what what um your your reaction there was Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma, yeah. someone who 
when we, I think when we talked about him last, I forget if we, if we even did on, on the podcast itself, but, um, someone who was listed at like 240 some odd pounds. He was listed at the AJ Dillon highway. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, shows up to mobile Monday weighs in five eleven two twenty seven. So now he's a much more conventional running back and there's, I laid this case out in the um, in the article, but um, you know he doesn't have a ton of carries to to his name even still. I mean, the um, 165 carries in his career, but he averaged 7.2 yards per carry. Again, the the 165 carries that's not a lot. Everyone knows that, but you know, similar to market share for these you know star studded receiver groups. Oklahoma had a damn backfield, man. I like, you know, Kennedy Brooks was amazing, didn't play this year, but he was ridiculous in 2019. Uh, Trey Sermon, uh, eating up a, a good bit of the work back in like 2018. TJ Pledger, a really talented player. Jalen Hurts and, and Kyler Murray, of course, you know, taking up a lot of carries from, from their, from the quarterback position as well. So that it's not like there was a ton of carries available for any one guy. And Stevenson also was suspended, um, late last season through the first five games of, of this year so that that also shrunk um his, his volume but what, once he got eligible he crushed it i think he scored three touchdowns in his first game back this year and and never really looked back as that top guy for oklahoma again w- while they also had talented running backs that were doing well i mean tj pledger and um uh the, the uh, mcgowan i think his name is um yeah, um, it, es- yeah uh escaping me a little bit but yeah anyway Stevenson just was really productive and explosive, and and now that he has like that more conventional like five eleven two twenty seven, that not necessarily conventional conventional, but you know something that we've seen before, something we can wrap our our minds around. I'm really interested in him now. Yeah, especially thanks to Derrick Henry and AJ Dillon, there is a recent precedent of a player like Stevenson being both valued and valuable in the NFL. So that's that's pretty interesting and. I don't know what to make of his weigh-in exactly because he didn't look, you know, overweight or anything when he was on the field for Oklahoma and he was listed at 246. So that's a pretty substantial weight change. 19 pounds is a lot for any frame, really. So uh, it's that's a big transformation to the point that he might look fundamentally different. I can't remember anybody's weight changing that much from, you know, listed height weight and what they might have plausibly had on the field in college to, to weighing in at something so low as that. So he, he looked pretty fast at two, if he was at 245 or whatever, he looked pretty fast playing at that weight and the production is, is great. Not good. That includes pass catching, by the way, like part of what's interesting about him is that this year uh, he, he had a shortened season. Of course, there was only six games, but in all but one of them, the Florida game, he was busy as a pass catcher, or at least uh, the four the four games in between. Is caught four passes on four targets for sixty yards against Kansas, three catches for fifty four yards on four targets against Oklahoma State, five catches for forty eight yards on seven targets against Baylor, four catches for thirty six yards on five targets against Iowa State. And the the year before, in twenty nineteen, he caught all ten of his targets for eighty seven yards. So he's caught twenty eight of thirty five targets for. 298 yards which is very good and so if he's if he's this big guy who is pretty fast and cannot just stay on the field for passing down work but thrive catching passes and those snaps 
I'm having trouble ruling out high upside scenarios here. Like I'm, I'm I know it's there's some sort of risk here in the meantime, in, insofar as like we don't have any reason to think he'll be drafted high, and so we don't know or have any reason to believe that the NFL will give him a serious chance. But if they do, or if he somehow stumbles into opportunity, all the results to this point, all the conventional metrics to this point are saying bye. So mm-hmm. I don't – like, granted, he was suspended for – I don't know if they thought it was like a failed drug test or whatever this year. Yeah, there, and, was, a, know, there was like a three or four OU guys that they got slapped with that before the playoff game last year. Yeah, and that's a, you know a senior player who – by all accounts is very good being suspended for that many games. That's, that's not something those schools give up easily, you know? So, uh, there's probably some amount of character red flags that he'll get grilled for, but if the NFL doesn't hold it against him, I don't think this is a guy who will fail when they put him on the field. Now, as far as the AJ Dillon, Derek Henry comparison goes, that's gone at this weight and at this new weight, I don't know what he is exactly. It's like you're, you change it from more like AJ Dillon and Derek Henry to guys like, Royce Freeman, who even still is like eight pounds heavier. Uh, I don't really know what the 228 example is, but I had a Isaiah Crowell. Yeah, I think he's I think he's going to be a little bit bigger and faster than that. But what I was thinking was I saw some people comparing him to Eddie Lacy, which was actually wrong, in my opinion, because Eddie Lacy pretty clearly gained a lot of bad weight once he got to the NFL. He, He did not look overweight at all at alabama nope uh he he was like a 215 pound guy at alabama and he was really damn good too uh but stevenson being more like 228 that almost is like man i guess if he lost that much weight maybe he is kind of getting close to alabama eddie lacy and i consider alabama eddie lacy a very good thing so we'll see I'm, i'm interested to see how it turns out but there's also a chance that stevenson is a guy who runs like i don't know let's let's say a 455 a 458 at 246 if at 227 he's running something more like a 448 that puts him in a pretty unique company as far as density and size adjusted as athleticism goes and if he can catch passes with a frame like that and i mean you can't you can't rank a guy like stevenson alongside players like etn and Najee harris but I think he does have similar upside as both of them. It's just the floor. We have no idea where it is. Yeah. And, and again, you know, th- this is a class where once you get outside the top two, it can be really, really fluid with, with how you want to rank them. And, and you know, there's Steve- no running back depth in this draft. I think it's this weird thing that might happen where uh, even though the class is the worst we've seen in years, we might see running backs go surprisingly high just because there is like in all those other cases where running back slipped you did that under the reasoning of like well we can get one later you can't get one later here like if you if you draft or anybody who is plausibly projected to go after the first four rounds i don't think is worth drafting in this class and some of those guys who are worth drafting in that category are not full-time candidates like they're they're role players so particularly with the the workhorse and three down upside and the big play upside Stevenson is the only guy I can really think of who can compete with those in my opinion anyway like even even guys like Javante Williams with North Carolina like as good as him and like Jamar Jefferson both could be like Stevenson really stands out for the upside in a class where the depth is the lowest it's been in years that yeah I I love how you put that um yeah no that's 
That's pretty spot on. Yeah, the upside is definitely there. Um, correction on my part, um, did not mean to invoke 2018. Oklahoma Stevenson was a JUCO transfer, got there in 2019. That is reflected in the article. I just kind of forgot it on the on the fly there when we were talking about him. So do not lump him in with like the, the Kyler Murray conversation. But um, yeah, no, bo- bottom line there, there, there's a lot to like uh, when it comes to Stevenson. I think this, this uh, he... He exits this week or will exit this week as, as one of the biggest risers. And like you said, in, in the broader context of this running back class, um, yeah, he might have really, really done a lot for himself this week where, where you know, the, the things can kind of fall off a cliff once you reach a certain threshold among those guys. Um one of those guys who I think might might be a trap, and he might not even stick at running back, but you had the sniff out for, for him in your article where you ranked him, and, and I was a little surprised at first because I, th- I I like thought in my mind the production was better than it, than it really was, but it was just really good for fantasy, um, and that's Demetric Felton of UCLA. So, I mean, he was running behind Josh Kelly um, in 2019. It's a funky system that they have at, at UCLA with, under Chip Kelly. So he caught a ton of, of passes, you know, 55 catches on, on 73 targets for 594. Um but, you know, a lot of that is kind of like in the slot type of deal. And, and, you know, he was only running it on occasion back then. He had 86 carries in, in 2019, and he wasn't particularly effective with them. A lot more effective in a more conven- or conventional um, role this year. So, I mean, he did prove that he has pass catching ability. And yeah. kind of my takeaway is that, and I, I know that he's done some reps at receiver um, this week. I think that might be his path. I don't think his path yeah. is at running back. Yeah, I was probably too harsh toward Felton. Like, I still have no interest in having him on a football team. Like, I, if I was running a team, this this player has no role on my team. I don't think that there's a healthy offense that you can run where he's getting usage in it. I, I just, I don't believe it's the case. But there are players who I would say that about who do play in the NFL. Naheem Hines is one of them. So that's one guy that gets compared to Felton. And I, you know, it's like we saw Theo Riddick get good run in the NFL, even though he sucked. There's a chance that Felton will convince some team, a dumb team, I will tell you ahead of time, <laughs> but some team might say like, oh, we can use this guy. Some somebody might, some stupid coach might look at him and go like, ooh, I, I, I know what I, I, my my galaxy brain playbook with this guy is going to be something, a, a real treat. And every time that happens, I think you get results more like Tyler Irvin in Green Bay this year. It's like these t- coaches are great at this. like, And most coaches in the NFL are great at looking at a player who is novel or otherwise uh, entertaining or something like that and thinking like, oh, I got to make this guy happen or like I, I can make this guy happen and and I'm clever. I'm the one clever enough to, to really cut this guy loose. And it usually turns out it's like, no, he's he's novel because he doesn't look like anything you've seen that has succeeded in the past. And like that's why you haven't seen it happen. It's not because he's this new thing. It's because past cases of this have failed already and you just forgot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty clearly what's going on with Felton here. Like I will say he does have legitimate pass catching ability. And I, for that reason, I definitely agree with you when you say like, he's just a receiver because here's, here's the deal with, with, with Felton. And, and I can see like the, the reasoning that, that attracts people to him as a running back. And, and that this could very well include an offensive coordinator, some coach of, or GM of significant influence. I don't really know, but they look at him and they, they think like, Oh, if I put him in the backfield, then the defense will have to match him up against the linebacker. And 
I know that like Alvin Kamara does stuff like that for the Saints, and I bet I can do that with this guy. And I'll motion him outside, and he runs routes like a receiver when he's outside, and who can cover him then? And it's like, okay, well, you should, instead of just like just asking yourself these rhetorical questions, you should you know, at the very least ask someone who knows how to call a defense what they would do or, or just look at the way NFL defenses handle things in these situations because you don't put a linebacker on him unless you choose to, you know? Like, I'm not I'm not watching Demetric Felton go into the huddle and then think like, oh, man, we got to stop the run now. Get Reggie Ragland out there. And then, you know, they match up Ragland on, on Felton and they motion him out wide. And I'm like, no, when he goes <laughs> and catches the long pass. That's just not happening because when I see him go into the huddle, I'm not putting Reggie Ragland out there. I'm putting someone like Will Redmond or some backup safety. It doesn't really matter because whoever it is, as long as they're a defensive back, they can cover him and that moving him out wide doesn't get the mismatch. And the reason you don't get that mismatch is because he's not good enough as a runner to force that threat. If he's good enough as a runner, maybe we're talking about a linebacker instead. Maybe I'm putting my 230-pound a relatively quick linebacker on him instead because I still respect him enough as a runner that I don't want to have a safety matched up against him in the ground game. But I do because it's, it's not going to hurt me to defend the run. If, if the run threat is Felton, my safety can deal with it. Any, Mm -hmm. any vaguely league average safety can deal with that threat. And then once you lose that threat, you're only really bluffing it from that point. And I'll call your bluff. I'll just ignore it. I don't care. Put him out there. I'll, and let him run routes against my fifth corner. He won't get open. And so that's the way it goes in practice with players like him and Tyler Irvin. People like to look at guys like that who don't fit. They look at the tweeners and they go like, oh, he's good at both things. No, he's good at neither of them. And you're trying to justify him as a whole by saying he's contributing in both to a sum that's useful. It's not. And in practice, you got to get the matchup for him to actually you know, th- threaten the defense credibly. And he can't credibly threaten the defense as a runner. He could threaten it as a receiver, though. In, in, in the case of a linebacker covering him, yes, Felton will win that rep. And as Hines showed with the Colts this year, you can get him matched up against a linebacker occasionally. And if a team like the Titans in that one game don't adjust, you can keep going to that play. And, and yeah, Felton's good enough as a receiver to get open against a linebacker. That's, that's something I don't debate at all. Sure. But as far as getting that matchup, that's a that's a hasty presumption because you have to respect the runner as a runner to put a linebacker out there in response to him going into the huddle. And I don't see anything for Felton as a running back. It's 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 totally a theoretic thing where people are thinking at the novelty of a running back catching that many passes is threatening to a defense when it's more like you're probably just spinning your tires and not going anywhere. Right. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, a similarity if you follow follow college football to like the the pass catching running backs in like an air raid offense where it's effectively like a a extension of the run game and like you you know you're you're doing like end up doing like six maybe seven six and a half seven yards per yeah it's not like even Anthony Thomas Chris Rainey stuff except he's slower than both of them and didn't produce as well as either and, it's, he, it's, and he's it, overage too I think his recruiting class was like 2016. Right. So he had I got to give him this credit and I I missed this initially. I I probably should rank him more like the running back 15 in this class rather than 22 or whatever I did. Um, He did have good receiving production in 2019. Yeah. But the thing is, it's only as a possession capacity. Like he has a high catch rate uh, above the team baseline. There's not much there in the way of big plays of like truly plays that are like harmful to the defense. 
it seems like a lot of check downs, a lot of taking what's there kind of stuff, which he did. And there's, there's a function for that. You can, you know, not everybody takes what's there and he, he at least did that much, but he was also 21 at the time. And I think was, uh, it's like when you're, when you're 21 and a half, that's the age as, as a prospect where I need you to go well above the baseline before I'm going to, especially when you talk about UCLA, like there's no good pass catchers there, right? Like there's nobody, no, there's no one like setting Kyle the base. Phillips. I don't think so. Yeah. It's like, there's nobody raising the baseline in such a way that makes it, um, that, that builds in the excuse if he fails to, to go above it. It's like, you're competing against losers right now. You should be way better than them. You shouldn't just be slightly better than them, especially now that you're, you know, going into your fourth year sort of age, like a senior should, should make hit the underclassmen on the team. And especially the, the lesser talented underclassmen look completely inferior. And I didn't really see that. It was just kind of like, he was the best option they had hanging around kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, um, yeah, again, like, te- yeah, 10 yards per, per catch, basically, um, last year with, with all of that target, with all those targets. So like you said, a, a good catch rate, but yeah, not, not really doing anything explosive. And you should be, um, I put a little gif in the, in the article with, on one of his kick runbacks that, you know, showed some, some pretty like fun, short area, make you miss type of stuff. But, you know, kickoffs are kickoffs. They're, they're not the same as, uh, as a conventional yeah. offensive play. It's just kind of fun to watch, but, um, People are putting these clips of him running routes yeah. and being like, look at him getting open. It's like, aren't you people sick of doing this every year? Like, don't, I know. don't you remember the Braxton Miller and whatever else we've gone through? Oh, it's like, yeah. well, these are not drills where the corners can win. There's yeah. no – like playing with – okay, I, I don't want to talk about like endless football theory or something. But like those drills don't carry anything analogous to the conditions of actual plays. They're more just like you run these plays to set – a practice structure up and like get guys kind of, you know, in football motion before you do live drills and things like that. No one's watching this and thinking like, Oh wow. Because he got away from this. Yeah. The, the release heads out there on Twitter by themselves. Like normally in a, in a defense, you've got, you defend a certain leverage and you know that other defenders are going to carry certain parts of the field. Uh, even in man coverage, you still, tend to have slight leans with this it's just like the receiver can run wherever he wants and there's no help anywhere and there's no pass rush and it's just not meaningful and yet you have people hyping him with these items and if these things inform his price then his price is wrong like you should not invest in something where the where the value presupposes meaning in these clips they aren't meaningful they don't like he might be good but it doesn't have anything to do with those clips no ex- exactly so yeah the, the don't uh, don't fall for what you know whatever Look! Look at him just shaking, shaking dudes like a salt shaker. I think I saw one of those tweets out there last night. I was like, okay, I'm, I go- love that, I'm going uh, to bed. That Austin Gale guy is like, this is big for him to get wide receiver reps. <laughs> He's listed at wide receiver. Yeah, He's listed at wide receiver <laughs> on the Senior Bowl roster. He that's because he played wide receiver up until last year. It's like, what are we talking about? Why are I know it's like some people just want to have fun looking at clips and being like, oh, this guy is cool or whatever, but like. This is yellow journalism. Come on. The guy is a receiver. It's not impressive that he's lining up at receiver. This is ridiculous. You can find any meaning you want in anything if you believe that. See, exactly. So, yeah, don't don't take the bait as far as that um, is concerned. Um, let's move on. Um, do you want to unpack some Larry Roundtree? Uh, sure. I mean, you know a lot more about him than me. I only watched a little bit, and I couldn't – you know, he's, he's, he's one of those guys who – 
looks fine. Like you don't watch him and think like, ah, oh, this guy sucks. But you don't you don't really see anything of like star indication. <clears throat> and when you look at his numbers, they're pretty good, but they're not. They don't stand out from even somebody like Demare Crockett, who I still, to be honest, don't really understand why he was so bad. But these, these Missouri dudes, they they like lure us in. I mean, we were we were the original Emmanuel Hall guys. Okay, I think his is a weird like uh, durability sort of related thing. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's like they, they did have Henry Josie and uh, at running back. And I feel like there was another guy too. Um, but in any case, Crockett had like a really big freshman year, which was the weird thing with him. And then he kind of got worse every year. Like, I guess he was almost like Missouri uh, cadre Allison or whatever. Mm. Um, and then Roundtree is this guy who he wasn't exactly better than Crockett, but sometimes you have cases where the player who wasn't, as good in college is still the better pro player and things like athletic testing will, will help us kind of narrow the possibilities for Roundtree. But in the meantime, he's a guy who, um, I don't know. It's he, he's one of those guys who I don't see any reason to invest in really like in dynasty mostly. Cause anyway, if you're in a deep format, then sure. It's like if, if you go whatever five rookie rounds, then you should probably have him on somebody's roster. But in the meantime, he's more just in that category for me where he, uh, I don't know, probably like that Wayne Gallman kind of thing where it's like if he ends up on the field, sure, he could probably do something. You know, he, he he can find a way to stay on the field in third down situations. He can do this and that at, a, at an adequate level, but he won't be good enough or at least in the likely outcome, he won't be good enough to hold on to it in the long term. It's like he needs to stumble into opportunity. But if Roundtree surprises me and goes in like the third or fourth round, then that would be a substantial indication that a team is going to give him a chance. And in the, the meantime, I don't see anything about him that makes me think he'll fail if he does get that chance. Okay, it, I just feel like if he if he's drafted in the in like the t- first four rounds, like he will he will have done something athletically that I don't think that they're particularly strong indicators that he will. I I, I think that. You can look at him, and, and I just like I love the the overall consistent production from him, and uh, the frame is is good too. You know, five ten two sixteen, but just I think there's just a a certain lack of explosiveness that I think could yeah. sink him compl- Like one one you know historical comparison that that I came to was like Elijah Holyfield, where like he was a, a productive runner, especially his last year at Georgia. Um, and then gets to the combine and just totally blows it. And like, I, I have similar fears for Roundtree because, uh, over his last two years, he had just like 12 runs of 20 or more yards and that's like 400 carries worth of sample. That's concerning to me. I guess. So I, I'll just say like, I, I am not getting my hopes up about Roundtree, but there are certain guys that I look at and I'm like, he can't play. Mm. And I don't say that about Roundtree. I'm, I'm not getting excited or hopeful either. I'm just kind of like, this is a guy he could hang around, you know. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, I guess uh, I'm trying to think of like what I would compare him to. Sorry, I can't think of anything good, but it's um, it's. I just think if he has David Montgomery without the hype. Oh no! I, I mean, I think David Montgomery was definitely a better player, and you know that sounds. I'm sure that sounds strange. Like, but you hated him. Like, <laughs> ah, I think I hated, hated the, the discourse. Him. I didn't hate. I didn't hate Montgomery. I just. I just hated the people who uh, 
kept bleeding all day about how uh, he's the number one running back and Hakeem Butler's the number one receiver, mm-hmm. even though Iowa State scored like 24 points per game <laughs> in the Big 12. Uh, but yeah, it's it's um. He's just he's just a he's just a guy. Yeah, I can yeah. see him being useful in fantasy just because he, if he if he gets on the field, he probably won't embarrass himself. Maybe like Jeff Wilson or something like that kind of possibility. Okay. It's like a long shot, but he's one of the better long shots as far as they go. Okay, yeah, but it, he he probably falls in that camp. You know, we were talking about earlier, like the the cliff in, in this running back class, where you know, what, once you get past a certain point, it's like these guys probably just like aren't totally worth it, but. Yeah, he he probably falls in that class, but like you said, if he if he gets the opportunity, may, maybe he makes good on it um, as well. So that's kind of the the Larry Roundtree. Uh, he's dis- no Rob Kelly or something like that. Like he's better than that. Okay, all right, I can I can live with that. Um, have you looked at any of the tight ends other than uh, obviously like Kyle Pitts, but he's not even there. Not a whole lot to be honest. I gotta figure out uh, like. Trey McKitty is kind of interesting. Yes, yes. A Georgia Bulldog by way of Florida State. Right, yeah. So um, do you want to – you almost certainly know a lot more about him than me. Do you have any particular view um, on him? You know, like it, I think that this year didn't work out as well as as Georgia fans were hoping for him. And I think part of that also had to do with the fact that, you know, that the passing game just didn't work until JT Daniels took over. So that was basically like the last – four games of the season they had Stetson Bennett trying to play quarterback and that obviously was wasn't working um so McKitty you know he was like fifth on the team in in target share um just an average of seven percent of the targets when he was out there kind of dealt with some some bumps and bruises along the way this season and there was also um this freshman tight end Darnell Washington who is literally LeBron James's size or maybe a little bit bigger ridiculous we'll of course talk about him a couple years down the road but yeah, I mean McKitty, he was he was productive every time that they used him. It's just they barely used him at all. So I mean, I think there's probably a little bit more useful sample to be taken from his Florida State days. But I mean, he was good in his Florida State days. I thought, especially um, his junior season, um, freshman year, you know, catching like only about half of his passes. But I think you also have to realize how bad Florida State's entire offense was in 2018 yeah. i mean it was bad in 2019 as well don't get me wrong but i mean mckitty definitely showed some improvement in 19 compared to 18 when he was just a sophomore so there, there's stuff to like about him apparently he had this very f- fancy one-handed grab um during practice so i think that he's someone that i think there's a lot of room for for upward mobility um among these tight ends at the senior bowl because i think outside of kyle pitts um, it's not an awesome class, or at least it's not like full of name brand guys. So, um, is the McKitty... biggest name at uh, sorry is the biggest Senior Bowl tight end name then uh, Kenny Yaboa? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, so he he's one that I have trouble figuring out too because his Temple production was not very interesting exactly, but then this year his production was very interesting. Yeah. And I can't tell if it's just like, oh, that's I can't tell if it was because it's just he's basically playing wide receiver now. And it's, you know, he won't get the chance to do these things in the NFL. But um, it's not that often that you see someone produce like that at tight end. And I mean, he like eviscerated Alabama. Right. That's that's pretty interesting. And I don't know. It's like you you look at him and it's he's not one of these ridiculous cases where it's you know this this is clearly just a wide receiver playing tight end like he's not like six four two fifteen he's not doing a Dan Arnold or something like that you know like he's a real tight end sort of build 
So he doesn't need to be wide receiver good as a receiver to get on the field. Uh, and if, if he has a, he's probably not a good blocker or whatever. He's probably not a guy you're trying to get in line exactly. But if you're not a liability in that respect, it's, it's again, just kind of like a way that you can get on the field, which is, especially for these mid late round guys, that's crucial. It's like, you want, you want a guy to have like swing backup functions so that, if if an injury happens at two at one of two positions, they can get on the field at either of them. You know, yeah. And he's um, got he's got like frame stuff to where like you, you can coach him up as a blocker a bit. You know, like he he's got like an eighty inch wingspan or something like that. So yeah, I mean, it seems like he's pretty decently sized for yes. tight end. So um, I don't I haven't done a study of him exactly, but the numbers are pretty interesting. And yeah, I mean, it, I don't I don't know what these guys like Freyermuth amount to and, and whoever else isn't whoever else is like a high tight end pick, but isn't present uh, because of their underclass status. But this seems like a pretty weak class after Pitts, Who's like barely a tight end. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's like Brevin Jordan. I know he, he had some productive days at Miami, but that's a guy who's schematically limited. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Um, He's he's like more of like a sort of H back whatever wide receiver kind of build. So um, I'm not really seeing a lot to get excited about with the tight ends. But as far as as far as the options go, Yaboa definitely stands out thanks to his production. I think so too. Um, one other guy, I I think that there's like it's it's more likely that he doesn't end up doing anything in the NFL that, than him being a, a, you know someone that's on the fantasy radar. But I thought the Tony Poljans college career was at least interesting enough to talk about so i'm pretty ignorant about him what is his his deal so he was a quarterback at central michigan for i believe his first two seasons there um switched to tight end uh when when jim McElwain got there to to be the new head coach in, in 2019 and did well you know he caught like 33 catch 33 passes almost 500 yards four touchdowns he's 67 265 i think is the craziest part so i mean that there there aren't a lot of cases and he doesn't have that jimmy graham you know like athleticism to him so i mean he could just be like this oversized lanky like too too lanky for his own good type of guy and you could definitely see that with some of the blocking tape from Virgi- from his time at Virginia, he w- he transferred to Virginia that this past year, and he he was good. I mean, it, not the, on a per target basis, not crazy, but I don't, I don't think that that would that offense is just year over year. It's very funky. Like it's it's hard to like make the right um, conclusions for, from a lot of that offense. It's very very weird. But Bulgin still led the team in touchdowns. He had like six receiving touchdowns this year. Um, so that was obviously good as well. I think that he's just he's an interesting dude. I mean, he's just yeah. so he's so big and he's had, you know, a career where he started out at at, at quarterback. So he's still probably learning the ropes and coming into things a, a, as a tight end himself. Yeah, this is uh, honestly, this is the first I've been looking at him and it is pretty interesting. I can't remember uh, what is it? it's like. AJ Derby or whoever that Arkansas guy was was a quarterback at Iowa and then um, but he wasn't he didn't produce this well when he got to Arkansas and he wasn't much of an athlete I don't know what like being 6'7 6'6 265 with this background is especially the weird part because if I remember right Derby was more like your standard 6'4 245 or whatever some whatever a relatively big quarterback constitutes it still it was not anywhere near 
this big and yet you look at his quarterback years it's like he's got some rushing production that you don't really see with pocket uh it's like you don't really average six yards a carry when you adjust for the sacks unless you can run a little bit and then this year first of all in 2019 those are just really good numbers yeah uh 33 of 49 for 496 that's that's just very good by any by any standard and then this year it's a little less efficient only 411 yards on 59 targets but it's one of those things to me that he's getting this target volume is kind of the more significant detail because uh he basically looks like he's the best pass catching option on the team uh they weren't getting like other than my my dude lavelle davis right yeah it's just like it this a tight end especially a tight end of his build getting that many targets it's it's not something that really happens at all so it could be happening here for very weird novel uh you know basically structural deficiencies with with the virginia offense but i feel like it's more likely at least given his prior production that it's like they were forced to keep him in the game plan as a pass catcher and that's a weird thing at categorically for a 66265 guy like the, normally those guys block mhm so yeah i think that, that there's a little something to him i, I haven't heard too much about uh, buzz that he's generated um this week i think hunter long from boston college has probably made some more plays at least kind of from like the press clippings that i've seen um but you know nonetheless Paul jan just a a unique cat uh, with with a crazy story arc, so I, I'm I'm pulling for him if, if nothing else, even if you know maybe he's not actually like a, a super viable in, guy. His weigh in will be very interesting. Uh, I have to believe he isn't that heavy anymore, but if if he is, and if if you're six six two sixty five, you do not need to run that great. You know, it's like you you're, you're huge, and if if you're even in the conversation with these other guys, that's pretty impressive because they're probably about fifteen pounds lighter than you could be a, a joseph fourier maybe remember him <laughs> remember him yeah he, what was, what was, or, he, like or was six, a christian six, eight, two, sixty or yeah yeah and he had uh he had awesome uh touchdown dances if i remember correctly as well that's good you you like to see that uh is this is this nick eubanks the guy who was at arizona like 15 years ago um am i thinking of a different guy Oh, you might you might be thinking of a different guy. I'm I'm not entirely okay. sure. I so. remember there was there was a Eubanks who was like a an Arizona State quarterback or something. And uh, no, this is a different guy. Okay, so yeah, never mind. I, I was a little bit intrigued there because I remember that was a running quarterback. And if if he's a tight end, maybe he's a athletic tight end. But um, no, this class is pretty boring. I guess it's gonna it, this time. Uh, th- did Tommy Tremble declare from Notre Dame? I don't think oh, that's so. Not a, that's not a senior bowl guy. I got to I got to focus. Um, anyway, yeah. As far as as far as the senior bowl gr- group goes, I, I would guess we're looking at basically just Yaboa and uh, Poljan, realistically. Yeah, those two. Oh, and Tremble did declare for for the record. I, I just checked. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. That guy. Um, there's a very funny clip of. Um, um, I love the name. Yes, and uh, th- there's a great clip of someone doing a film breakdown. I think it's Aaron Taylor on Twitter. You know, former NFL guy. Um, he calls Tremble uh, the the PR word, which you don't you don't hear that too often uh, in 2020. But he he said it in in like a uh, 
in a positive way, just talking about Tremble's blocking and his kind of mentality when he's on the field. And yeah, Tr- Tremble, like he's got some, he's rough around the edges as a pass catcher a little bit, but uh, again, not a, not a senior bowl guy, but he's a Notre Dame tight end and he knocks people's block off. Like the, there's, there's no question about that. That dude, uh, if you're, if you're a defender and you're caught flat footed against him, like you're going to end up on the ground. But uh, yeah, it looks like a pretty weak class. Um, the underclassmen are where dynasty drafters will realistically want to f- focus to even even you know not necessarily not necessarily should they st- specifically strive to do that. But if you must look, I, I would yeah, I'd kind of keep it limited to Pitts and Freermuth and maybe Brevin Jordan. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense among those uh, younger guys. Um, anyone else that you wanted to to touch on, um, but before we we head out, I know that we we kind of notably didn't really talk about any of the quarterbacks, but that there's just not a ton to, to glean from this work. And, and we know who like the the first five or six quarterbacks off the board. Like none of these guys, Sam Ellinger, Ian Book, Felipe Franks, like they're not Ooh. going to push their way into the any, into any real discussion. Uh, we had you know. 15 years of Kellen Mond at, at Texas A&M. I'm a little interested in Mond, and I guess even <laughs> Franks, if he turns out to be athletic, as like day three guys, but uh, yeah, Franks, I don't. Franks might have the strongest arm of anyone there, and he's huge. Um, yeah, but no, I, 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 my concern uh, as, as a Georgia fan who watched him a lot is he's not actually good at football. See, that's, that's fair. I just think we're heading into a new era, a new paradigm in the NFL where – uh, these guys who would have sucked 10, 15 years ago, like Josh Allen, basically, and maybe even Justin Herbert, there's just this thing now where if you tip a threshold of arm strength and you know throwing velocity, throwing distance, build and athleticism, you kind of like force the defense to spread itself so thin that even bad passers can thrive. But like you need to have the arm strength and the athleticism and the build to make the defense spread itself that thin or else they'll just look like crap. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see how fast those guys turn out to be to, to, to kind of get a, you know, a feel for like, can they, can they be like that Herbert kind of thing where, where the defense is so worried about the run and so worried about the deep ball that they can't cover a bad pass to the intermediate. Cause I think that's basically the story of Herbert and Allen is it's like they, they simply get better conditions in the NFL than they did in college. Um, and maybe, maybe a guy like Mond, maybe a guy like Franks can benefit from that sort of thing. Um, I, I guess it's kind of stupid that we, we got the big names late last, but uh, Kylan Hill is a running back that you wrote about in the, the senior bowl preview at, at good length. And he's a round two running back for me. He's, he's very much a conventional uh, 2021 NFL like the uh, redraft kind of guy that we need to keep an eye on a little bit less the case for Elijah Mitchell, but I, I do like him if he tests a certain way. So uh, Marquez Stevenson at receiver, I think could be right around where uh, Dwayne uh, D- Eskridge goes. Uh, he, he's an, he's definitely a low four, three guy. Like he's, he's skinnier than, than Eskridge, but he's definitely fast. I don't think Austin Watkins is anything. Shy Smith is just like a, a swing backup, uh, Kadarius Tony to me is a is a poor man's Paris Campbell, but we'll see. I could be wrong about that. Um, and let me see real quick. Uh, the running backs, uh, Najee, Najee Harris had a, had a actually concerning weigh in for me. Uh, I thought oh. I was hoping he'd be, I was hoping he'd be more like six one two thirty five like Lavian Bell, and he turned out to be more like six two two thirty. So 
people aren't going to like to hear. I saw Daniel Jeremiah and then a lot of other people started parroting him, uh, comparing Najee Harris to Matt Forte. It's like, come on, man. I know you're running a query of running backs listed six foot two and then just like picking the one who had the best NFL career. Don't don't, he, those don't two- tell them the secret of how to do this. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Like Forte is nothing like Najee Harris. Forte was like 6'1, 217. He ran a 444. Uh Matt Forte is more similar to someone like Chuba Hubbard or something. Najee Harris is more object- objectively similar to Ryan Nall. And he could still be a good running back. He 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 should be way better than Nall and, and could very well be kind of like the first of his type to be good in the NFL. But those are the terms we're talking about. He is not Matt Forte. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think so either. So ridiculous. Lazy, lazy, lazy stuff. Not desperate even. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, uh yeah, just generating some some buzz, some clicks, uh, with some wild, wild comps. But I think that's gonna do it for us here. Yeah. Uh for the senior bowl breakdown preview extravaganza here on the Rotowire NFL podcast. We of course will be back next week. Apparently there's a big game uh the following uh sunday so we'll we'll get into that just a little bit i think the chiefs and the uh and the buccaneers are playing so yeah stay tuned for that one of course and then our our draft stuff will continue to roll out um throughout the course of the off season so stay tuned for more of that but for mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening to the roadwire nfl podcast Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.